You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Yeah, speaking of serving, I just want to thank everyone that does. I mean, those that are involved and really serving, whether it's in the local church here or in our community, it is a blessing and it is a way that the light of Jesus shines. And so with that, I want to welcome Arlene Tatum back. She was in Africa. Arlene, where are you? I don't know. There you are right there. Arlene is in Africa. She got back last week. And so I want to thank you for serving, Arlene. We really appreciate that. And what a service that is. I mean, to go to the othermost parts of the world. Maybe you're not called that way or to that kind of destination, but all of us have something we can offer, something that we can give. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Well, again, I've been looking forward to this series for some time now, and I'm happy to say to you, would you turn your Bibles with me to the book of Romans? We're going to look at the awesome book of Romans together, chapter one, and I can, can't think of a better book in the Bible that can help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ that can help you grow in understanding who your identity is in Jesus because the book of Romans is considered the heart and soul of God's word. I don't know if you've ever thought it that way, but most scholars and theologians look at the book of Romans and they say, here it is. Everything that's in the Bible is right here in these 16 chapters. So when we dive into the book of Romans, we are diving in, and we're going to go deep in this passage of Scripture. It's also considered the spiritual weight room. Now, I don't know how many like weight rooms. Uh, I know that when I go to one and then I leave, I'm sore for a little while. My muscles are getting stretched. My body's going to a place that it's never gone before. Imagine that spiritually for you, because when you dive into the book of Romans, what you're going to experience are sore spiritual muscles for a good reason, because you are going to grow. So we have some heavy lifting. We have some heavy lifting ahead of us, and I believe this with all my heart. I believe for the next 30 plus weeks that the Holy Spirit is inviting you into an experience that maybe you haven't had before. An experience where you're growing deeper and you're coming to those, those barriers, those obstacles, spiritual obstacles in your life. You're getting there and you're saying, I'm here again. Here I am again. How many times do I have to go around this mountain? Well, this is what I believe. Not very many more because there's going to be breakthroughs for you. And that when we study God's word, especially the book of Romans, when you come to those, those constant barriers that you may face in the growth of your spiritual life. The book of Romans has the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to crash through those walls, those barriers. And you can say amen to that, to own it personally. You want to own that and say, yeah, that's, that's going to be my endeavor. That's what I'm going to do. So every day we know this. Every day we hear news. We hear news from several different sources. Uh, you watch news on TV. You see news on your device. If you're old school, you still read the newspaper. But whenever you find the news, you, you look at it and you study it. And I know, for me, my phone pings several times a day with breaking news. And for the most part, sadly, it's bad news. It's usually not good news. And I guess we shouldn't really be surprised because statistically, 90% of breaking news is bad news. I mean, if you want to do a little survey, go out and look at some headlines, news headlines today, and count how many are bad news headlines, how many are good news headlines? And so we'll see that most of them will be bad. Well, 
Why bad news? Why is that usually the headline? Here's a quote from an insider about news. Bad news is more likely to attract more readers than good news. It's kind of our desire. It's uh, uh, the base element of our flesh. We want to know the skinny. We want to know the scoop. We want to know the bad news. And it's no secret that journalists have known this for years. More people are likely to read the headlines if it's rotten rather than if it's wonderful. And that's true, isn't it? It's not only true about the news that we read, but it's true about every level of our lives, including our own personal life. So what is the headline news over your life right now? What are you going through right now? And, and, and if someone was to talk to you, it would be the first thing that would come from your mouth, and it would be the headline news uh, of your life. And there are headline newses that we're stamped with, that we've lived with, and we can, we can see that. We know how people interact with us. And oftentimes that headline news in our own lives is not good news. It's about the bad news. Satan's plan for you is to get you to believe the bad news about yourself. That that's his desire. That's his design. And if you believe the bad news long enough, then it defines who you are. And so when we dive into this passage of Scripture, this is one of the barriers that we need to break. We need to know that we are not defined by our community. We're not defined by the people around us who may bring negative press. But we're defined by God. We're defined by God's word. So here it is in the book of Romans. And it's so important because it gives us detailed account of how we can live a life free of shame and in the righteous standing with God. In a righteous standing with God. That when God sees you, he sees his son, Jesus. And that's what the book of Romans is going to reflect for us. That's, that's what we're going to pick up. And this is what it says in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, we know that's true, and then to the Gentiles. Now, look at verse 1. Go back up a little ways to verse 1, chapter 1. And I want to read these seven verses to you. And in these seven verses, what you're going to see is you're going to see four different truths that you should know as reason to why you should not be ashamed of the good news. There are reasons you need not be ashamed of the good news. And because of that, you can make a connection to your own life. And because I embrace the good news, there's no need for me to live a life of shame. You see, it's found in the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what it says. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, that's the unsaved, to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ and to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
four things that you should know that give you reason not to live a life of shame. Number one, we're going to talk about the messenger of the good news. Number two, what we're going to talk about is the origin of the good news. And then the centerpiece of the good news. And then we're going to talk about the reach of the good news. Number one, the first thing, if you're taking notes, the messenger of the good news. What we have here is the Apostle Paul. It's Paul saying, I'm right here. I'm a servant, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. So I want you to take the, the word servant just a little further because that's what Paul does here. Paul, when he talks about being a servant of Jesus Christ, talks about something deeper that our culture isn't used to going to. We're not used to, to going to those places. What he's saying is this. He's saying, I belong to Jesus Christ so much so that I carry the markings of a bond slave. And what they would do for ownership in the day that the Apostle Paul was, 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 was living was they would either tattoo you with a particular ownership tattoo, they would pierce your ear, they would do something to signify that this person is a slave and they belong to this person. Paul is using a metaphor here. He's saying something. He's saying, I belong to Jesus Christ so much that I have markings, that he owns me, that I belong to him. He's saying, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. I think you know that Paul was one of the most unique individuals that has ever lived, one of the most unique individuals in human history. And apart from Jesus Christ, he's the most significant individual personality in the New Testament. So what is it about the Apostle Paul that we should know? A few things. One, it's always good to know where someone's born. <laughs> the Apostle Paul was born in a city called Tarsus. Today, it's southeast Turkey. So he was raised, and what we can tell, in a fairly wealthy home, a significant uh, influence in the community. We also know that his birth name, his Hebrew name at birth was Shaul, which we would say Saul. That word simply means one who hears. Most likely named after the first king of Israel, that is Saul, the first king of Israel. We also know that as time went on in his life, as far as we could see, his name was changed to Palos or Paul. Now, that's interesting because that means something totally different than what you might think. It actually means you're short, you're little, what they used to call me in grade school and still do. But Paulos, they would say Paulos, the, the little one or the short one. What's amazing about this is we don't know altogether exactly. It's not bib biblically confirmed what he looked like. But there are some early ancient manuscripts that do give us an idea of what he looked like, what his characteristics were. So I'm going to give you a few of those. One, he was short. We already talked about that. He wasn't only short. They say that he was bow-legged, that he, he was bent-legged, that he might have even walked with a little bit of a limp. I would think so because of all the things that he went through. He was also balding. Now we really get to identify with each other. And so short, he's balding. He has uh, eyebrows that actually connect in the middle. Yes, it says in some manuscripts that he had a unibrow. He also had a hooked nose. So I don't know what you've thought about the Apostle Paul or what your imagination is when you try to conjure up an image of him. I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I want you to close your eyes for a moment, just for a moment, and I want you to think about what you think the Apostle Paul looked like. And it is not Brad Pitt. And some of you need to get away from that. 
I want you to, I want you to know what po the apostle, he looked more like Danny DeVito right there. That's probably more a better rendition of the apostle Paul. Uh, that's not sacrilegious, is it? Are you all okay with that? All right, we're okay. But he, he most likely looked like Danny DeVito and not Brad Pitt. So I hope, I, I hope I'm not wrecking in uh, some of your images of the Apostle Paul. I really do. I hope I'm not doing that. Short but determined. He was a religious man. He was anti-Christian. We know that. Anti-Christian until Acts chapter 9. And then his life totally changes in what we call the road to Damascus. He's on the way to Damascus, so 100 or so miles north of northeast of Jerusalem. He's going on a donkey, and what happens? He is going to kill Christians. That's what he's going to Damascus for. He heard about an enclave of believers. He wants to extinguish any form, any, any smell, any sight of Christianity on the planet. He's headed there, has his entourage with him, and he runs into Jesus Christ in this dramatic way. So dramatic that he's knocked off his donkey. He's blinded. He can't see. The bright light is so bright. And then there's this dialogue that happens between the two. Now, I want you to remember what I described earlier. When Paul said in Romans, I am a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Remember that. Because it was this time that he started to realize. It started to dawn on him that his life wasn't his own. He started to realize that he actually belonged to Jesus Christ because that title is a title of surrender. And I think that's the title every Christian should have, don't you? That all of us should have that title of surrender, of being a servant of Jesus Christ. A good question to ask at this point in our study is, what is your identity? How do people see you? What's your headline? I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. So Paul is asked two questions on the road looking up into this bright light. Number one, who are you, Lord? He asked that question. And the answer is, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. What a response. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't waste any time with him. He doesn't pad the conversation. There's no niceties altogether here. He just says, I am Jesus Christ, the one that you're persecuting. Uh, the fact that he says, Lord, who are you, Lord, indicates there automatically was some level of great respect, probably because of the bright light. He was blinded and knocked off a donkey. I mean, that guy would have my respect. I mean, that's, that's the, so initially he's going, wow, this is, this is amazing what's happening here. Now, with lordship, establishes another question. When Jesus is Lord of your life, as Jesus was Lord of the Apostle Paul's life, there's another question, and that is, what do you want me to do? Every encounter that you see every biblical figure have when there's a conversion in their life, you can all go back to the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah had one of those kind of encounters where he had an encounter with God himself, and then God was saying, who shall I send? And he said, send me. What do you want me to do? In essence, how do you want me to be obedient and responsible for what has just happened in my life? Because I'm getting a sense that my life is being radically changed here. <laughs> I'm getting a sense that the old days are gone, the new has come. I mean, this is what's happened in, in Paul's life. And so he says, Lord, Lord, you, you got to help me. What is it you want from me? What is it? Now, whether that is a question you ask God out of desperation, so be it. If that's a question you ask God in the private time of your devotion, so be it. 
The question is about obedience. The question is really about surrendering my life. It's here that we truly become bond slaves of Jesus Christ. It's when we say, what do you want from me? How should I obey you? Now look at verse 1 again. Paul says, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now I want to stop there just for a moment. It's important to understand this. Paul already had some idea of what this was about. In fact, he's probably drawing on some of his past experiences. Paul at one time was a Pharisee. Paul at one time understood the implications of being called a Pharisee. The word means one who is separated. That's what the word means. Pharisees took pride in being separated, separated from everyone and everything. That's what they took pride in doing, very religious people. In fact, they took so much pride in being separated from everything and everyone is that when they walked through the crowded streets of Jerusalem, they would tighten up their robes just in case they might brush into a Gentile and be defiled. They didn't want to get Gentile cooties. So they stayed very, very much to themselves. They were separated from Gentile cooties is what was going on. So he says he was separated from everyone and everything. That's what he says. But now he says this. I am separated to the gospel of God. Why is that important? It's important because there are two aspects to separation. You can say you're separated from whatever that from is. The Bible says don't be part of the world. Be in the world, but not part of the world. Separate yourself. But unless you're separated to something, there's not a purpose in our life. You can be separated from, but not separated to. I mean, we know this. And did you know this altogether when I was thinking about my life and the lives that have influenced me, we can have a saved soul, but a lost life. You can know Jesus. You know that you're forgiven. You know that you're going to go to heaven. You, you know all that, but you aren't doing anything. You're not asking that second question. You're not saying, how can I be obedient to you, Jesus? You've been saved. You have a saved soul, but a lost life. Now think about what Christians are often known for. What are we often known for? I want to try to I want to try to live this down. I mean, what I want to do is try to beat this thing down a little bit of what we've normally been known for. It's what we don't do. We're usually known for people who don't do this. We don't do that. And we don't do the other thing. Listen, I think there's more to life than just not the don'ts. I think there's more to life in my Christian walk in, in the do's. I want to be known more for doing. I want to be known more for the dues, separated to the good news, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you haven't noticed, this is covenant language. And everyone remembers what's the theme of our year? Covenant. So you're hearing covenant language, I mean, right up here, right at the very beginning, separated to the gospel of God. That's covenant language. That's the apostle Paul saying, yeah, I'm separated from, but I'm being separated to. I'm being separated to the gospel of God. This is covenant language. Again, using the example of marriage is the statement of separation. Being separated from, forsaking all others. You said that hopefully to your future spouse at that moment. I'm going to forsake all others, but I'm going to be separated to you and you alone. Live only unto you as long as we both shall live. Two parts. Two parts of a covenant, two parts of separation, being separated from one thing and then being separated to something 
different. Separated from the past life, separated to a future life of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. So here we have it. Who's the messenger? Well, the messenger is the Apostle Paul as we read the book of Romans. But we also know that we are the messengers as well. That we've been given an apostleship. That we have been given uh, more than an office. It's a duty. It's a responsibility. It's something that would be passionate in our lives. That we want to be that one that is sent out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said there are four things. Number one is the messenger of the good news. Number two, notice the origin of the good news. In verse one, it says the gospel of what? What does it say? The gospel of God. Now, this is important. You need to remember that the good news has its origin in God. Aren't you glad that the good news doesn't find its origin in human beings? I mean, that the origin of the gospel of God isn't something people conjured up. It's not, it's not human birthed or born. It's not that. I do know there are a lot of people out there that think that the Bible and Christianity is about a lot of smart people getting together and deciding that this is what the religion looks like. I've heard that before. I've heard that people think there's no merit to it because, oh, it's just a bunch of smart people, a group of smart people who would get together and they devise this. Listen, no smart group of people would ever tell a story that condemns the whole world forever except to believe in one person. What kind of nutcases do that? I mean, if you really want to be popular, if you're thinking, well, the people, people came up with this. No, they don't. Your, 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 your life right there dies. I mean, your, your plan, your institute, whatever you want to start, it dies right there unless it's real. And unless it's real. But that's exactly what we're going to read about in this book in the Bible. You see, this is not about man. It's not about something we have designed. Nobody would do that. It's not a man-made religion. If it were a man-made religion, you know what it sounded like? It sounded like this. Well, let's, let's everybody, let's just get together and be good. And you know what? You're okay. Yeah, I'm okay. You're okay. Hey, just do the best you can. And you know what? We're all going to end up in heaven. That, that's man-made. Because it's not the truth. It, it really isn't the truth. That's human religion. Man-made religion is about what man can do for God. The gospel is about what God has already done for man, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Planned for you in Genesis 3.15. This isn't just something God put together. Like There's a plan. There's a sovereignty to it. And we can ascribe it to the author, God, that he put this together so that we might have everlasting life. That's what he's done. So we understand this is coming from God. It's from God. The apostles didn't invent this. They discovered it as it was revealed to them by Jesus. Peter himself says this. He says, we, we didn't follow any cunning fables. We didn't follow any fancy stories. But we made known to you the power and the glory of Christ Jesus. That's what we've done. We've brought that to you. And then you go on. Look at verse 2 with me. Paul continues the thought. He says, the gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets, his holy prophets and the holy scripture. Again, please notice the language. 
It's covenant language. How is it covenant language? It has the word promise in it. Anytime you have the word promise in it from God, he doesn't break his promises. He's covenanting with you. And that's what he does here. So what is Paul saying here? He's talking about the Old Testament, uh, the place that the prophets hang out. You know, they're, they're in the Old Testament. So he's going back and he's saying, this is, this is who, who we're talking about here. So why should you know this? Why is it important for us to know this? Because the New Testament isn't an addition. Please know that. The New Testament is not an add-on. The New Testament is not another religion. No, it's a continuation of the same revelation from God. It's the same story. From Genesis to Revelation is the same story. It's a revelation from God. That God would bring good news to us. This is why Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy what the prophets said. What I have done is I've come to fulfill them. There's this divine continuity in the Bible beginning in, in Genesis and ending in Revelation. It's a, it's a beautiful, constructed, divine continuity that no man can ever devise. We aren't this smart. That's what we see here. Now, do you know, and some of you know this, that there are over 300 plus Old Testament prophets that, pro prophecies that came true in the New Testament specifically about Jesus Christ? 300? 300. That, that's a lot to be said about one person, even more. That's a lot to be said that would come true about his life, his death, his resurrection. In fact, the mathematical probability of this happening, you can't even calculate it. You can't figure it out. It, it is eternal. It is infinite. Oh, that's God, isn't it? <laughs> All those things that he put together. He did this. It's not like the weatherman. This isn't like these prophetic words aren't the weatherman stepping up and saying, oh, yeah, um, we're going to have a little sunshine, maybe a possible rain shower in the afternoon. How did they get that? Radar, mapping, those kind of things. This is not the way biblical prophecy works. It is so detailed. It has multiple contingencies. It has a multitude of features that no one could know, no one can control. And when they come to pass, they give proof. They give evidence of the scripture and that the scripture is divine and the author is God. It's the only way it can happen. It's the only way this is possible. So the origin of the good news as we read it here is you and the apostle Paul. That's that, or, uh, the messenger is you and the Apostle Paul. Uh, the origin is God. And then the third thing here, the third thing is the centerpiece of the good news. What is the centerpiece? Or may I say, or shall I say, who is? So what is this all about? What is this regarding? In verse 3 and 4 says this, regarding his son, uh, who as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. So you know all those prophecies that were made, over 300 predictions, they all point to every one of them. Every one of them point you to one person, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the centerpiece of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. He is the centerpiece of Scripture. And sure, there are other topics. We know that. Subtopics. There's subject matters. But the grand theme, the central theme of the Bible is the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
He is the reason we're here. So let me try to do something. I want to try to give you the Bible in a nutshell, all right? If you can't take notes fast enough, you have to listen to it again. That might not be a bad idea because there's a lot of things here we're talking about. But I want to give you uh, the Bible in a nutshell if I can do that, okay? Are you ready? The Old Testament is the anticipation of Jesus Christ. The Gospels are the presentation of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is the continuation of the work of Jesus Christ. The epistles is the explanation and clarification of Jesus Christ. And the book of Revelation is the consummation by Jesus Christ. You just got the Bible in a nutshell. How about that? So if anyone talks to you about, you know, the Bible, say, pull that one out. Pull that one out. They'll, they'll say, wow, that person, they're smart. They know something about the Bible. But notice how Paul refers to Jesus Christ here. He has two, uh, what we would say, titles. He, he says, as a descendant of David and as the son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead. Paul is referring to the dual nature of Jesus. Don't, don't forget this. He's referring to the dual nature of Jesus. Fully man, seed of David. Fully God, son of God. Now, the term son of God is a term of deity. Actually, what it literally meant and what it meant to the, the people of the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, it meant God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God is with us, Son of God. That's what, that's what they were saying. That's why the Pharisees were all ticked off at Jesus. That's why they wanted to crucify Jesus. Because he said, I'm the Son of God. And they just, whoa, what's he saying? He was saying, I'm God in the flesh. So all that to say this, the good news is not about a good man. It's not about a good teacher. It's not about a good rabbi, rabbi. The good news is about the God-man. That's what the good news is about. Being man, he had the ability to substitute for mankind on the cross. Do you see where we're going with this? Being man, he identifies with your temptation without sin. He identifies with your physical pain. He identifies with your emotional pain as a man who is really, truly a man. He can be now, without sin, a substitute for you. You couldn't, I couldn't, none of us could get there. Being God, he had the capacity to save all of us. Being God, he had the capacity to save all of mankind because that substitute on the cross, that's how we're saved. A perfect sacrifice. The good news, the, me the messenger, the origin, the centerpiece of Jesus Christ he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And I would encourage anyone who's listening to this online that if you're hungry right now, if you're wanting to know answers to life, you want to know how all this makes sense, it makes sense only through Jesus Christ. That's the only way this makes sense. And understanding that God is the sponsor and author of all this. So I want to finish with this. One last, uh, one last thought, and that is the reach of the gospel or the reach of the good news. In verses 5 through 7, it says, through him, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, once again, the unsaved, to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God. That's where he's writing, he's writing to the Christians in Rome and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see that? Through him, we have received what? We've received grace. That means we don't deserve it. 
So whatever you get from Jesus Christ, you did not earn it. We don't deserve it. And then we received, and something we referred to earlier, we receive apostleship. Yes, you are apostles. All right, we'll do that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are apostles. Because the Bible calls you that. I don't call you that. The Bible says now, in Jesus Christ, you are ones sent out. You are ones that carry the responsibility of being an apostle. And here it is. This, This is something. I want you to mark this one down. Because you're an apostle, you've been sent out. We all have a mission. Mark this one down. To call all the Gentiles unsaved to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So what does he do? He goes on here. I'm going to read a little more out of 6 and 7 because I want to reiterate this. I want this to stand out to you. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all that are in Rome, who are loved by God, who called by his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. The deal is this. The good news isn't just local news. The good news just isn't about these four walls. The good news isn't just about where you are stationary. No, it's not. The good news is breaking news. (laughs) It's headline news. And it's wonderful news. And the best of all, the good news is for all people. The good news is for everyone. The good news is for all people. The good news is for everyone. Ron, why are you repeating yourself? Because we forget. We just forget. We've gone through things in the last few years that we just forgot. The good news is for all people. This is the reason this church goes to Africa, goes to Albania, goes to South America, to Europe, to the Middle East, to Sri Lanka, to Mexico, etc., etc., etc. And that is wherever you go. Wherever you go, that's where the good news goes. I hope you know that. That what you're bringing with you is you're bringing the good news. So wherever you are is where the good news is. Wherever you are, wherever you travel, whoever you're sitting next to, whoever you're in contact with, the good news has just arrived in their life. There's the good news. Hey, the good news just sat by me. The good news just told me a story about their life. The good news just told me about the best news I've ever heard about Jesus Christ. And salvation follows, always follows the good news. (laughs) See, wherever you are is where the good news is. So let me try to summarize our reach of the good news. Here it is. God sent us to tell everyone everywhere about his awesome good news. It is not limited to one race to one place at one time, but it is for all people in every place, all the time. It is a reach that is universal. Amen. Yeah, that's when you want to probably bust out an applause or a dance or something saying, wow, that includes me. Yeah. I mean, if that included me, I'd be thinking, wow, wow. You know what makes good news really good news? What makes good news to you good news? Because it's good news to you. It is. I mean, you could come and tell me some good news that you, you have in your family. And I, I'll get excited about that. I will. I'll rejoice with you. Probably send you a little note, something. But when you tell me I got the same thing you got, that's good news to me. 
You see, and so when we get together and we talk about good news, we're not only talking about the good news I've received, you're talking about the good news you've received, and it's something for me, that I can own it. There's something in the good news, of course, the whole good news for everyone, but there's something every day that you find a different facet of the good news that you can apply to your life. Wow, that's good news. I, did you know that the Lord covered my bills? <laughs> good news. Good news. Do you know the Lord healed? Boy, that's good news. Do you know that it's good news? See, it's good news for everyone everywhere all the time. That's what good news is. So let me tell you about a criticism. Criticism that you hear today, and I often hear this when I go into all the world and preach the gospel. Here, here's the criticism. You have no right to impose your Western culture, a Western religion, on other cultures who think differently. I'm going to tell you where that primarily comes from. It comes from our fountains of education today. That's probably the number one place you're going to hear this. And amazingly, and I, I don't mean disrespect, but for being smart people, they don't know their geography. Because when they tell me that, I'm thinking, now, am I missing something here? Am I missing something here? Because really, what we're talking about here is you need to know geography here because the religion that you're referring to originated in the Middle East, in eastern Jerusalem, if you want to be specific. That's where it all started, in the city named Jerusalem, and it's neither a Western or an Eastern religion exclusively. Jesus said, go, go, go into all nations and preach the gospel to every human being. For God so loved the world, not for God so loved the West. God so loved the East. He loved the world. It's a message for the whole world. East, West, and everybody in between. Think of it this way. Let me put, let me, let me, let me put it this way for us. If someone has heart disease, and they need to see a doctor, and the doctor gives them standard medicine, and that medicine is designed to cure or help at least that, with, that, with that heart disease. There's medicine for that. And it's true that if you have heart disease, the same medicine will work for you whether you live in the U.S. or whether you live in Africa. It will work. It, it, it will work. It's not like the medicine won't work here in the West. Nope, can't take that. It doesn't work on people in the West. No, no, it's science. It works. It works on the, in the people of the West, and it works with the people in the East. It is a universal cure. No matter where you live in the world, it works. The same is true about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cure for sin is universally the same, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what cures you of your sin. Amen. Whether you live in Africa, whether you live here in the United States, whether you're an elite educator, whether you're a garbage collector, it doesn't matter. You have the same heart disease and you need the same medicine and the medicine is the blood of Jesus. Take it and there's a cure. Amen. If you don't, you're missing out on the cure. The cure is universal no matter where you live. The cure is the same. The world has a lot of religions, doesn't it? But it only has one gospel, one good news, and it's God's gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish 
but they would have everlasting life. Romans chapter 10, verse 16, or verse 11, excuse me, says this, anyone who believes in him, the good news, will never, ever be put to shame. The solution to not be ashamed is the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the solution. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we are so grateful today for what you have provided for us, what you have given us. And then for many, the next step is receiving it. You don't do that for us. You, you, you make everything, you set up everything. You, you get us to this place where, where we can see that your son came, God in the flesh, lived a life without sin, gave himself up on a cross to die for us, raise again and will come again, but we have to believe in it. We have to receive it and for, in order for it to be good news for us. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're in a place you haven't received the good news yet and you want to, just lift your hand and I'm going to pray for you because this is what it says. When you hear and you confess Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. You'll see that in the book of Romans. If you're online, let us know. We'll send you something to help you get started in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But this is what it's about. It's about the good news. That's what it's about. Father, we want to thank you today for the good news of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray and we say amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.